0: Welcome to the Reflective Teaching in a Digital Age podcast series. In these conversations, we discuss technology-inspired changes in STEM education. The title of today's episode is Online Laboratories in Engineering Education. Nicole and I will talk with Dr. Dominic May, who is an assistant professor of engineering education in the Engineering Education Transformations Institute at University of Georgia. He focuses on cross-reality learning and engineering laboratories and pursues an innovative approach that promotes educational impacts through collaboration with technical faculty while conducting fundamental engineering education research in this area. So, hi, Dominic. Welcome to our podcast series. We're excited to have you here today and learn all about your work around virtual labs and their use in engineering disciplines. If you don't mind, to introduce yourself to our listeners and broadly talk about your area of work at University of Georgia before we'll get into the specifics of virtual instrumentation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, thanks for having me, Natasha and Nicole. I'm I'm really happy to be part of this um, podcast and of this project here. So um, yeah, as you said, my my name is Dominic and I'm working at UGA and in UGA I'm working in engineering education research and I'm part of the Engineering Education Transformations Institute and well, for the listeners who haven't done that, they might jump back to the episode just before this one or an earlier episode with Dr. John Morlock, who talked about the Institute a little bit more in detail. So I don't want to repeat all of that, but, um, so in, in essence, the Engineering Education Transformations Institute, which we call ED, um, is a mixture of a faculty development institute and an engineering education or fundamental engineering education research institute. And we are working there with a, uh, with a group of interdisciplinary folks and I'm part of the um, engineering education research um, part of this group and so I am doing uh, research in the area, area of virtual instrumentation and online labs and cross reality spaces and I'm I'm happy to talk about the terms a little bit more in detail if, that, if that's of interest. What I do is I'm looking at engineering education from the lens of online laboratories I'm looking at online laboratories in engineering education research, uh, which I would refer to all online, uh, all laboratories which are using some kind of online technology. So this could be a remote uh, lab, which is accessible over distance uh, through the internet. Um, it could be a fully virtual lab, which is um, also in use in engineering education. It could, it could be an augmented reality lab. So all these kind of labs which are using online technology or virtual reality virtual reality technology in the area of engineering education research fall into my interest and fall into my research. And what I want to find out through my research program is how you could apply those labs in engineering education and how do they change engineering education. So what what kind of advantages do they bring to the table? What, are, what kind of barriers do they also bring to the table? So, and this is in, in, well, very easy words, my, the, the area of my research and my interest.
2: I wanted to ask a question real quick, um, or just to follow up about, you know, have you had experiences with people who did fully remote labs or people who did a blend of both, whether before the pandemic happened or during the pandemic, if that was something you had to navigate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you can imagine that the last one and a half years basically, uh, were kind of a, well, a, a high for my kind of research or for the application of, um, of my kind of research. So, and here at UGA, so I joined UGA about three, three and a half years ago. And as, as my research area always has been online labs, um, I brought this topic and a couple of labs to the, to the institution. And so we were lucky to, Start into this process, and um, I was lucky to work with other faculty to set up new labs, or um, apply new labs, or purchase a lab and apply them to courses. So we were experienced, or a couple of um, faculty were experienced even before the COVID pandemic hit. And so we already knew somehow, uh, some kind of how this works. But of course, when the when the pandemic hit last year, there was this. I think it was a week or maybe two, uh, like. Everything changed and from more or less one day to the other um everything went online and of course this was this was kind of the big shift and this I think this yeah this happened in the in the spring in the spring term and so the the first full semester where we were able to really think about the courses and how to to really deliver them online uh, was then the, the summer semester and I I was able to work with other faculty who, uh, well, some of them were experienced even be from before the, uh, the pandemic and some of the for some of them, it was totally new to, to use these kind of online labs. And, um, I mean, the, the results are are really mixed. So we, we actually had, we at UGA, we do have the, um, well we we do have faculty who are fully convinced of the concept and who still use online labs and will remain use online labs even after the pandemic um most of them in a mixture or are in a blend with other labs and with um with face to face teaching um we have also plans to use these online labs in particular for online summer courses so to um give students the opportunity to take courses over the summer but still taking part in internship experiences or traveling or whatever, and, um, but still do, do their labs or do their courses, which also um, include lab activities online in that case. Um, but I'm also working with faculty or in exchange with faculty who say, no, this, this is not really my cup of tea and um, my, my, my instruction is really heavily, heavily relying on, on face-to-face interaction. Um, which I think is totally fine. So it's it's I'm, I'm not judging that at all. I really think um, faculty who decide to do everything or to fully switch back to face face on and also do this for the lab classes. I think they they do have a good reasoning for that. And um, I think this these conversations are really fruitful, even for my kind of research to get to know what 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 people kind of prevents them from online online labs, online experimentations, and actually working with, with faculty along this continuum from, well, fully adopters or maybe never adopters. I think this is really interesting, and it really shows, I think, the bandwidth which might be present at most of the institutions uh, across the country. So there will always be people who really say, hey, that's that's cool. I do like that. That's, this helps me in my teaching. Um, and there will always be people who will say, no, uh, I really want to, I really, really want to have the interaction in the classroom with my students, which is, which is also great.
0: You know, to add to Nicole's question a little bit, I think it was obviously very interesting that during the last year, um, to year and a half, there was just a need. People <laughs> had no choice but, um, to go online. So it's really, virtual apps made a lot of sense and a necessity for majority of instructors but i'm just curious about before the pandemic And when the technologies were developing and sort of, you know, people were integrating and playing around with virtual labs, what were the educational goals then? And what were the main drivers for development and implementation of virtual labs? One question, maybe I'll just add there. You said before that it could be uh, useful maybe to our listeners to describe some of the terminology, virtual labs, remote labs, cross reality spaces, if you don't mind also.
1: Yeah, question. yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm happy to do that. And I, I, let me start with the letter and maybe you need to remind me of the other <laughs> question. i uh, <laughs> that. So, um, so when I talk about online labs, I typically refer to um, to four different kinds of labs. So the one, um, sometimes even are um, lab kits, which are using online technology for interaction between the instructor and um, and the student. Not all of them do do that, but some of them. So these lab kits which you can send back send home to the students and they would be using them for well experiments. Well, in many cases it's in electrical engineering. But this also for me already is some kind of a um some kind of an online lab. Then the other or the next term would be a remote lab, which um well, as the as the term says it, could be used remotely over distance um through by using internet technology, and um, the most well, the the most important important aspect about remote labs is that we are using or uh, for the lab experience real equipment which is really running at the moment when somebody is doing the experiment. So when I'm a student and using a remote lab, I would use like my computer having kind of a web based system or a web based interface to use the lab. But when I hit the start experiment button or whatever button it might be, then there's somewhere physically existing equipment which is really doing the experiment. So this is one of the important aspects of remote labs that we are not relying to simulations or on simulations, but we are relying on real experiments. So the data which is coming back to me for my my experiment is real data from real experiments with real, uh, real equipment. There is kind of a... So yeah. hold on
0: a second. So remote lab, you said the real experiment is happening somewhere, right? So somebody mm-hmm. yeah. is putting it together, right, and mm-hmm. figuring yeah, that's it out. And, okay.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, the, the, I mean, there there are limitations to that. So, for example, you could imagine that not for all fields, such kind of remote labs are easy to develop. So many remote labs are also in the area of um, electrical engineering. So, for example, we are working with a. Remote lab, which is called, um, well, the system is called Vizier, but I'm collaborating with a company which is called Lapsland. Um, Lapsland completely focused on remote lab development. So, but one of the labs we are using is the Vizier system. And this is, for example, for using a, bread, a breadboard, um, in circuits design. So you could use, or you could develop an electrical circuit on your user interface. And then there's an equipment sitting somewhere. In our case, it's sitting in a, in a room in, in, the, in the, um, in the college. And at the moment when, when a student is really, well, designing the circuit and starting the, uh, or hitting the experiment button, then this equipment really does the measurement and gives up real data. And the interesting thing here is, well, not this, this effect is not that much of importance for electrical engineering, actually, but, um, it, it still plays a role. So the interesting thing here is that if you're doing an experiment twice, it could happen that the result is slightly different. So this is kind of well, reflecting reality. If you do an experiment twice, then the results doesn't necessarily need to be the very, very same, or it doesn't need to be like the textbook result. Because of whatever reason, this would be then kind of a kind of a discussion point for the course so why do we don't, why don't we get always the same results or why don't we get this results we would be expecting so this is kind of one of the big advantages of remote labs that we are not looking here at simulations and we are not looking at predefined um, outcomes but outcomes which are like which are reflecting reality there's kind of a um, a little let's say subset of remote labs which are referring uh, which are using videos. So, um, for example, uh, we are working or we developed at UJ a remote lab in the, um, in the area of biochemical engineering. And you can imagine that it's really <laughs> difficult to set up an experiment where, because you then have suddenly moving parts and liquids or something like that you, you would be working with. And because it's, it's so difficult to really develop such a remote lab with moving parts or with liquids, we there went the route to, um, to record videos of experiments, but we were recording, cu- well, I think close to a 100 videos for mm-hmm. only five to 10 different experiments with different um, parameters. And so we were also able to replicate the, this aspect of different results with the same experiment. So for, for one set of defined parameters, I think we were recording like five to eight videos and when the student is using the, this remote lab, a video starts, but we wouldn't know which video is starting. So it could happen that the, that one one and the same student start the same experiment, but gets another video, and so the results are slightly different, to replicating the reality here again. So this is kind of a, a, a big portion of my work, these remote labs. And then we have two other aspects, uh, two other online labs we we see in literature and at institutions, and uh, one is augmented reality, or augmented reality labs, where, we, where you would be using augmented reality, for example, to show experimental values on a well, augmented reality layer on top of an experiment. So, for example, there's one picture I'm I'm, I'm u- always using in, in, in presentations when I when I talk about these topics. You see on this picture a pipe system, and the experiment is about pressure and temperature in this pipe system. And the augmented rea- reality technology is used to show the values, well, the temperature and pressure values. At the different spots of this pipe system where these values are well kind of coming out well where these values are well developed in that case. So this these are augmented reality LEDs. And then the last, the fourth um kind of uh, online LEDs are um virtual reality LATS or fully immersive virtual reality labs. And here typically we use um simulations or virtual reality in order to do um, lab procedures. So people might know about the company uh, LabSA, which is like a company heavily investing in this in this field for a couple of years now. Um, and here you do have like labs. Sometimes it's desktop-based. Um, sometimes it's fully immersive so that you need, would need some kind of a head-mounted display. And then you do the experiment or whatever your lab is about, like in, in virtual reality. And so these are the four... Mm-hmm. Four kinds of online labs. When I'm talking about the the term cross reality labs or cross reality spaces is a term I was I was I started thinking about two or three years ago when I recognized in my work that we are talking about different kinds of realities here. So the remote labs, for example, are showing some kind of a are uh, like in, including some kind of a um, how to say let's say a mediated reality. Um, the augmented reality labs show augmented reality of course and um, virtual reality labs show some kind of a simulated reality and when I thought about this and when I started to to see this as, as kind of an ecosystem in a, in a school where where a school is using different kinds of lab, kinds of labs um, I started to think this think about this as that we have have online labs across different realities and that's when when I where I came up with the cross-reality labs or the cross-reality learning spaces in my context or in my work um, in context with, with labs. So these, the, this is kind mm-hmm. of the, the terminology I'm, I'm looking at are we are looking at. And as promised, uh, you do have to remind me of the other question.
0: <laughs> sure. Now, you know, that's fascinating. And, and thank you for clarifying the terms, because I think things that, like online labs and virtual labs and mm-hmm. augmented labs, they they all circulating in the research and instructional space, but I really appreciate that you've helped Mm. us to clarify the connection and the differences. So my original question was, I was saying that the pandemic really made it a necessity to have virtual, uh, to have online labs, right? And But clearly they were not developed during the pandemic, they were developed before. So Mm. what were the instructional educational goals for the online labs?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when we're t- talking about online labs, um, we we are talking about huh, roughly said twenty to thirty years of development at this point. Well, not not for one lab, but like the the January history the goes goes back yeah. yeah. uh, twenty or thirty years. And I, I would say this development at the beginning actually started um, because of two aspects. The one was technical curiosity by the developers. So um, I mean this falls together, of course, with the with the well, the development of internet technology as a whole or online technology as a whole. And at that point, people started to to think or to to experiment with online technology in in context with with labs, and started to to combine these two. And this was kind of the starting point where online labs were invented. And so a lot of online labs really were developed in, um, well, not in Educational research settings, but in more technical um, research settings, so that people were were basically interested in or curious about how this technology might work, and then the, they applied this to to their classroom. And this is this is still the case. So many of the of the publications and papers and a, a big portion of the of the research community around this is more coming from the technical field, let um, it be engineering or physics or computer. Computer science, and over the years, um, there were a lot of uh, over the years there, there were a lot of advantages really discussed and um, in in context with these labs. And one of the biggest advantages um, from the educational standpoint also um, is definitely or always has been, and I think is is still, is the flexibility. And the flexibility is something which is important not only in terms of time and, and, and space, so of course if you're using um, labs over the internet um, and you could be you could use it whenever you want from wherever you want this is definitely adding a, a whole lot of flexibility to both the, the student and the faculty and even though this can be seen or even though the time and space is something which really pays into that there's also this this I think very important discussion, which is coming up, coming up or has been coming up for, for a couple of years now, that it is, um, educational flexibility. So where you could work with students or where, where students could really use this kind of technology on the, in their own pace and in their own learning setting and really use this technology as a preparation for in-class experiments. They could, could use it as a, as well. A, Visiting these labs from home after they saw it in an in-class lab, or using as a preparation for a course. And um, for example, in, in one of the studies we are running, actually it, it is an it were, it were interviews we were we were doing. Um, we had a couple of students really saying, "Hey, this is this is great technology for me um, because I I typically tend in lab classes where we work with other students or where I need to work with other students." I typically stand, uh, attempt to stand back and don't really do anything. And now with these online labs and with the possibility to prepare myself, even with the um, experimental procedure, I feel more secure during the face-to-face lab and I can be, uh, or play a greater part in the face-to-face lab execution. And, um, and other students were reporting that they uh, were reporting that they At the beginning, they were in like face-to-face lab um, settings. They are afraid of breaking breaking stuff, which is not possible with online labs. (laughs) So um, even though this is always this is also kind of a limitation, as faculty also, or as I hear a lot of faculty saying, "Hey, breaking stuff is an important um, important learning, uh, uh, important moment for learning." Students were reporting uh, that they were afraid of breaking something and. This ended up in not doing anything in, in the last session. And now that they don't need to be afraid of breaking something, but they are able to really work with the system beforehand and get their head around the conceptual or um, the procedural steps for the experiment, this really adds a lot of value to to the well to the whole setting and also to the face-to-face labs. And another advantage, which is in many cases reported, and this counts especially for virtual reality labs or virtual labs, is that in these labs, depending on how you do that, I uh, do them, you can make the inaccessible things accessible actually. Mm-hmm. So you could bring students into settings where like a normal lab class would not be able to go because of security reasons, because of um, infrastructure reasons, whatever it might be. And now with a the, with the virtual lab, we, we do have the possibility to bring those into, to bring students into, into those situations. And, um, this is, I think, definitely one of the, one of the big advantages we have. It's, it's not, not a whole lot of X amount yet or a whole lot um, there's not a whole lot of research on that yet, but I think it really will become more and more important. And I, I think there's a, there's a big potential.
2: Oh thank you. I wanna follow that line of resources and access um a little bit more. So um when you think about the face to face labs, right, it's easy and I say that, you know, no it probably isn't in some cases, to have better access to resources as you usually have a filing cabinet or something somewhere where you can go get the parts. But I think about, even at my own institutions, when we were thinking about how we may get students to have these hands-on design type um, experiences, trying to figure out, well, what would you have in a typical home for the students for whom we couldn't ship, you know, um, packets to or whatever, Uh, But then I realized that we were projecting because because I think I have aluminum foil at home. I'm assuming everybody else does, Mm -hmm. where that may not always be the case. So how do you combat this issue of ensuring students do have the resources for the remote labs um, or just access so not everyone has, you know, reliable Internet connections? And I think Mm -hmm. the pandemic has really highlighted the fact that we assume everyone has reliable Internet at home. So are those things that you had to think about before we all went virtual, um, went online, sorry? And if you do, what would you suggest as some um, means of attempting to find a solution?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's really a really great question. I, I don't have the exact and finite answer to that, I, I, I um, have to admit. So And I, I totally agree that the last year, the last one and a half, you really uncovered some of these issues which we well m- might have thought before that they are not there anymore the, the issue of equity and access is so far to my understanding an unsolved problem um you an unsolved issue a problem in this area so when i'm talking for example about about my institution and this was also not true last year as everybody was at home but um When I talk about remote labs, for example, I don't necessarily mean that the students need to do this from home. So they Mm -hmm. could be also sitting in the computer lab in the, in in their institution. Maybe they have like a, like an hour off or whatever they have time and, um, but they don't have access to, to a face-to-face lab and then could use like the, the computer lab room, use the infrastructure, which is there in the college Mm -hmm. for everybody. Um, and do the experiments from there. So, assuming that every student has a reliable internet connection at home proved to be false. That's mm-hmm. that's something we saw last year definitely. And I I also talked with students who said, hey, this is interesting that we need to do this this year, but um, I, I need to go to the next Starbucks in order to, to have an internet connection. And this is also nothing which is really really helpful for my. For my experience here. So, and I really, I really have to admit that I didn't thought about this problem before. So it was before the pandemic, it was not a big discussion point in, in the era of online maps. Now it is. And I mean, one of the solutions definitely would be developing the technology so that they don't need a whole lot of bandwidth. So they don't need like a very, well, an awesome internet connection and could be still running. This could be, could be one solution. The other solution, well, not in a, in a situation like last year was really to, to think about the, the computer labs in the college also as a place to do, to use those labs. So we at UGA, um, at least in the College of Engineering, for example, we don't require students to have a laptop. So Mm -hmm. most of them have, most of them have, but we, we simply don't require it but we do give every student access to a computer and the computer lab. So they, they should have in theory have access to on to a computer, which has an um, ability to go online. And so they should be able to use um, the online labs too. Yeah. But apart from that, I, I really think this discussion is just now starting um, mm-hmm. and I don't have a, don't have an answer yet. What, what we, what could be the, the set of solutions for that. And yeah, as I said, you're raising a great question. I don't have a, I don't have a final answer to that, except for, well, this these are questions which have been coming up for like a year or one and a half years now, and they need to be solved, absolutely.
2: I really like what you said about them having access to a computer in a computer lab, because my institution has a computer requirement, and I always thought, well, that's a bit of a leap to assume that everyone is going to have a computer that mid-match And that's when I found out that we really don't have computer labs on campus, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. You know what I become fascinated by right now with online, shift to online learning, there are a lot of things that came to surface, like you said, our students think about working in in the lab mm-hmm. setting, and they're nervous about maybe saying something that other students won't think is correct. They're nervous about raising their voice, and they're nervous about mm-hmm. doing things and could just stay on the back. and I just think it's really fascinating that. Use of technology allows for a more diverse engagement of students, mm-hmm. which I think is quite interesting. And, and I don't know if you had any more evidence of that during this year, when actually the shift has happened. If any of the students talked about it more.
1: So you, you mean uh, talk about more about well, talk more about their diverse perspective on learning, or what?
0: I, I guess their level of engagement in the process.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, in the experimental process. In the
0: experimental process, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, on the one hand, as 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 said, there there were there were the students who said, well, <laughs> I, I don't want to damage anything, uh, mm-hmm. and so this brings me to not doing anything, which is definitely an issue. Um, and the other issue, well, briefly touched on this before, um, was the the discussion around group work in a lab setting, and mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to replicate stereotypes here, and but the the students I talked with, um, or the students I heard this from, were mostly female students saying, "Hey, I'm I'm in I'm engineering here, and when I am in a in a lab class, there's always this one guy who's like, who's running the system, who's great at these taking things, taking <laughs> taking taking over because he's good at at that, and so it's it's not a not a big deal for him." But typically this brings me, well, what brings me into the, into a situation where I'm only taking the backseat in the, in the experiment group or in the, in the collaboration there. Um, and so this is, even though that, well, even though that like lab classes typically, not all of them, but typically, um, heavily rely on group work and social competencies and group interaction. Most of the faculty I talk with really said, "Yeah, this this is something which always happens. That when I look into my lab class and I have ten groups, there's typically always one or two well guys, mostly, um who are running the experience, and the others are sitting around around that. And I think with with that with this technology, it's it's not so. You need to take still need to take care of that. So use this technology for." preparing face-to-face labs for Mm -hmm. example or face-to-face lab classes but I think we do have another possibility here to really help these labs to make the face-to-face lab activities a more inclusive experience for all of the students and yeah I I heard this from faculty I heard this from students and and kind of the, the next step would really be to to think about opportunities how to really purposefully use this technology in order to To prevent the exclusive atmosphere in 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 some of some of the lab classes. So don't get me wrong. I don't want to say that all of the lab classes are like like that. But this is what I heard from faculty and from and from students. And another aspect, which well also kind of brings me back to this aspect of flexibility, is that we definitely saw that students are. Learning and working at other times we would think of. So, um, we, with one of the labs, we were able to, to monitor when students are using that. So not per name, but like access to, to the labs. And we did have access in the middle of the night and we did have access on Sunday afternoons and on sometimes even on Saturdays. So, I mean, most of the access still was kind of circled around, circled around the lab class during the week but there seem to be students who really do their work at other times. I don't want to say that this is great that they don't spend their weekend with other things or okay. don't spend the night for sleeping. Um, but I think that it is definitely a reality that for, for some students, well, they, they are running on a different circle, um, a different cycle. And if, and I think this is fine as long as this is working for them, for them. And so I think we do have here the opportunity to give them this flexibility. And I think giving them flexibility and giving them the power of defining when they want to learn and when they want to do their stuff, I think this is first day a good thing. Um, if this ends up in a situation where a student would be using everything overnight and not showing up in class or not being able to take part in class properly, of course, this is another, this is another discussion. But giving them the power over the learning process, I think this is, this is a good thing, which we could support in. It's
0: also interesting what you mentioned is this kind of level of transparency that Mm -hmm. use, for example, of the online labs provide to instructors. Because now you can actually see when students are working on the labs and if, you know, and if they need some reminders or corrections or whatnot. Um, Have you had any comments from instructors on the ways that they use the data? And I don't know. They actually looked at this data of how students using their labs.
1: So I, I, I did have a couple of discussion with faculty about this. Um, even though this was not a well, not a big focus, neither neither for me nor for the faculty. So it didn't really change anything, or they didn't really change anything in the classroom. But maybe another, another aspect or another conversation which I had with a, with a faculty ties into this discussion here and which I think is, is, is important or can be important. So I had a discussion with a faculty who used the online lab for the first time. So during the COVID situation, um, this person didn't know about this opportunity. We um, exposed him to that and th- this person used it. And then I had a discussion afterwards. And this faculty person was saying that, you know what, sometimes being in a lab class can be really demanding in terms of catering all the groups. And sometimes when you hear a question or when you get a a question from one group and trying to think about the answer and trying to get an answer back, and then there's another group yelling from the other side of the room (laughs) and having another another question, which might be important, really could be very stressful Um, and it could tend... Tend to the situation that I'm not giving the best answers to the students just because of the lack of time in this very moment. Um, and now with this with this online lab technology and um, with the opportunity to give or to um, send the students online for the for the experiments and kind of forcing them to post their question via email because we don't have this live interaction. I mean, some faculty use Zoom in, in parallel but most of them really gave the students the, the task to work over that and work on this over the week and so the students needed to post their question in a written format via email um, one thing you could recognize it that you could recognize is that the questions might be more elaborated because you need to rethink them and really put them into a sent well, well typically need to put them into a proper sentence not all of them are but like in general, and the same counts for the faculty. So this person said, "Hey, you know, now that I get this email, th- these questions via email, this just leaves me this amount of more time to give a an good and elaborate answer back. So I can really sit back and think like a couple of minutes about my about my answer and maybe think about the reason for the for the question the students have, and this." kind of enhance the quality of of interaction. I don't say that this is true for all the interactions. So it could. I I definitely also hear stories about the the total opposite, so that students were shooting emails and saying, hey, it doesn't work, what should I do? This is also, again, another story. But um, this faculty person really said, hey, this really enhanced our conversation here uh, because it gave us this extra amount of time to think about both the question and the answer. And this was um, perceived as pretty helpful actually, and this was something i didn't think about before so this mm-hmm. this was new for me, and I think this could be this could be also a pretty good argument to to adding uh, online um, online labs to courses
2: i I wanted to follow up on that last comment you made, so I know people are now having the discussion about what the fall is going to look like, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I, we keep coming back to is we learned some really good lessons from being, you know, whether we wanted to or not, having to move everything online. But now more and more universities are saying students need that wholesome interaction type of, you know, that type of interaction that comes from being in the classroom. So if you had the opportunity to make a decision about what we keep and what we throw away, thinking about your work with online, virtual, remote labs, what parts of it would you want to keep if we went all back face to face, and what parts of it do we still need to work on because we still haven't figured it out yet?
1: So, um, so one thing I really wanna wanna make clear, and um, I when when I talk about online labs, I always talk about them as an additional opportunity for for class design or classroom design mm-hmm. uh, or course design. Sorry. Um, and I, I never really think about them as replacing the face-to-face labs um, mm-hmm. or entirely replacing the face-to-face labs. I'm totally, I, I totally agree with that with the one faculty person I talked about at the beginning saying, hey, the face-to-face interaction is so important for me, and this is kind of, a, from my understanding, is the, the moment when the students learn from me, where I learn with the students, and we as a group learn together in the classroom. And I think this is really great, and this is, this, this is absolutely true. So from my understanding, I think online laboratories are a great addition to, or can be a great addition to STEM courses. They shouldn't replace all the face-to-face labs, they definitely can replace some of, some of them. So depending on what kind of learning outcomes we're looking at, for example, if, if my learning outcome for my class or for my course is a conceptual understanding of an experimental procedure, I would say, hey, this could be re- replicated easily by, a, by an online lab. Because if it is the procedure, um, or the concepts behind this experiment, I, don't think that this, uh, it is absolutely necessary to sit in a classroom to really do that or sit in a lab room to really do that. If we're talking about hands-on skills to work with equipment or if we talk about, for example, collaboration and social interaction competencies where you are together with a group or if you talk about whatever, whatever competency which is depending on face-to-face interaction with other people or with the equipment, If this is the learning outcome, well, we cannot replicate this with online labs. So from my perspective, and coming back to to your question finally, when we are going back to normal um, in fall, and uh, UGA is doing that actually, so um, we will have face-to-face classes just as as before the pandemic um, from fall on. So um, I think if in, in the best case, we can keep, the good opportunity online labs offer to the course design, which is flexibility, which is using them as a prep instrument before face-to-face classes. This is this goes a little bit into the the concept of flipped classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, we could use them or give them uh, give the the students the opportunity to have a um, face-to-face lab lab experience and work on the same concepts using online labs just after that without necessary necessarily using the hands on equipment. So if we if we come to a situation in Florida, this should be the goal I think, to really develop um a good mixture of face to face labs and of online labs for the different purposes and we have or the different learning outcomes we have. And making use of the advantages of both worlds and com- combining these advantages, I think this would be kind of the the perfect the perfect situation. So, in, in my in my vision, um, I I tend to talk about a vital ecosystem of online labs or a vital ecosystem of lab classes. And part of this ecosystem in a college will be face to face labs, will be online labs, um, remote labs, or if it is um, virtual, fully virtual labs, or if it is automatic reality labs, if we combine them to an ecosystem where it is really totally normal to switch from one lab class to the other, the one being face-to-face, the other being online, maybe switching back to face-to-face, and if we even, even get the students to a point where they say, okay, if I want to understand this concept, if I want to really un- learn For this course, I need to go online, or I need to go into another face-to-face lab, or or whatever. So if we if we come to the situation where we can make the use of all these different opportunities we have, I think this would be the best the best way to go, or the best route to go. And the last one and one and a half year, even though it was it was devastating for, for for many of us, at least it brought many of us into a situation to rethink their own teaching. And mm-hmm. using this as an opportunity to rethinking the own teaching, and rethinking it into the future, making use of the experience from the last one and a half year, and combining it with the experiments uh, experiences from the 20 years before, the 10 years before, how, how, however uh, how long you might have been in, in education before that, really combining these exper- uh, experiences and making the best out of it and combining the advantages of the online world and the face-to-face world, I think this would be, would be the, the best way to go, actually. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. I was also yeah. thinking about the workplace, um, and I feel like in engineering education, mm. we frequently want to bring the classroom closer to the professional environment. Do you think online labs serve this goal, this purpose, to some extent?
1: I think they can do, absolutely. So if we are thinking about virtual reality and design activities in the automotive, in the automotive field, um, I think virtual reality is really heavily used in this, in this area, like in, well, designing a new car or maybe even designing a factory, um, layout in virtual reality, um, or designing workplaces in virtual reality. I think this is something which is there in the work in the working world um, and it is it is used and it's like there, there's no at least from my understanding there's no discussion around it and i think that talking about virtual reality labs this could really help the students to understand these technologies and get used to those technologies which will be part of the future work life anyway and as early as we uh, the earlier we Bring them into contact with, with this and bring them into a situation where they gain competencies with those technologies. I think the better we prepare them for the working, working world. Another aspect, which I think is important. And I also have to admit that I feel that uh, remote labs are lagging behind a little bit in this, in this um, context is um, the discussion around um, industry 4.0 and, um, Using, using actors and sandals at a distance, not being in the same, in the same location where the manufacturing is happening. And, um, I think that remote labs do have the potential to prepare students for this. So working over distance with technical equipment and not necessarily being in the at the same place, even though I think the remote labs we see at the moment, don't catch up with the complexity of industrial systems, um, which you have to work with um, in in industry. So with that being said, I think there's a lot of potential to use those remote labs also for preparing um, students for industry 4.0 settings. We are not yet doing a great job in that. Um, Mm -hmm. This, well, maybe, maybe because the technology is, well, at least in educational settings, rather young. Um, well, I mean, 30 years still, but it um, could be by that. It could be a financial aspect. So most of the remote labs are developed in um, in projects, in funded projects. And so then there is money to develop them. But after the project, there's no money to keep okay. them up to date and or further develop them. So most of these labs really are designed at one point and then they persist over the project time or beyond the project time or maybe they don't actually. So I also saw a lot of labs coming and after the project going again because people left the institution um uh, there was no money to really to keep them up to date. So. A lot of this, these technical developments, and this is nothing exclusive for online labs. Um, I mean, we see, we we see this all on all the time. So a lot of these developments really need a substantial funding over time, and not all the institutions are able to do this. And so this is, this is a really, really a threat to, to these, to these developments. And so far, um, and I said I think this is nothing exclusive for online that there's no real solution for this problem to develop something in a, in a, in a project because the funding is there is there, and um, then well trying to to keep this this whatever it is running up in beyond the project timeline, which is always always critical and always difficult, um, especially when we talk about technolo- uh, technological developments.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think if the funding and resources would be there in about 10 to 15 years, what could be the new innovations within the scope of the online labs?
1: Wow, that's that's a great question. So I I think one of the innovations which is really still not there, but absolutely necessary, is the connection between different labs. So Mm -hmm. thinking this... Thinking about this as kind of a, let's, let me call it a lab farm kind of thing. So where several institutions develop online labs for their students, but share them with each other so that, let's say, one institution develops two labs and the other one develops also two labs. Both institutions at the end could develop, uh, could use four different labs. And this interaction between institutions, you see this sometimes. But not in many in many cases. But I think this is absolutely necessary to go into the future and we don't have a solution for that. There's also a technical question because um, there are different um, different software systems running those remote labs and they don't really interact with each other. So there there's kind of well, there's development still to be done. But I think this would be a great innovation and a great addition to the field and a great addition to the research when we get to a point where these remote labs uh, or these online labs are easily shareable among institutions. And so um, I think developing these kind of lab palms, I think this could be one of the innovations um, because the, the, the smaller innovations about, around labs, we do have great faculty, we do have great reach, researchers to really develop the, the greatest labs so at UGA, we, I have a colleague who's de- developed a whole virtual world for land surveying. It's it's an awesome lab, it it is great. The next step will be to not only use it in our institution but share it with other institutions. Um, seeing well, looking for possibilities how they can use it if they don't have funding for head mounted displays and questions like that. So really, bringing this research and bringing these developments from Single institution solutions to multiple institution solutions and share them among those uh, institutions. I think this would be this would be awesome if we if we were able to do that.
2: So I have a question. Probably my last question for the listener who is keen on using this kinds of technology but they don't know where to start. What would be some practical advice? You know, whether three or five or seven. What kinds of practical advice could you offer?
1: So you mean like, uh, how to find a way into this, into this field or how to really use those labs?
2: How to even, where to even start?
1: Please. Okay. So I definitely, I think talking about, um, public or more or less publicly, um, available solutions, I would definitely look into the homepages of LabsLand. So it's labs and then land. Or Labster to get a feeling of what we are talking about. So they are commercial solutions and there's, well, but they, they are also, in my experience, they are always happy to, um, to share their, or to share what they have. I mean, in the end, they want to make money with that, which is totally fine, but I think they, they do have a good overview. And then other opportunities definitely are looking for papers and looking for research on conferences. So, um, for example, I'm, I'm also part of ASWE and Publishing papers at ASWE, and there are several other other um, papers. I think, yeah, last year there were several other papers, and this year there will be again papers around that. So, and this would be definitely also a good opportunity to really find a way into the field and get a get a good feeling for where the where the community stands. So, I'm also president of an um, association, so the International Association of Online Engineering. Um, which is dedicated to online labs or well, online engineering te- uh, technique. And we do have a homepage, Look there would be a great opportunity contacting me. I'm always happy for, for somebody who contacts me about this Feel I'm super interested in that. And then really trying to, to test things out. So um, it doesn't need to be the the great remote or virtual lab, which has been developed for two years and then it can go live. Trying things out, and if it, it it might be might be small things, and if it is only using a YouTube video about an experiment, which is not an well not an experimental procedure, but using this as a as like a like a first step into the uh, into the world of online lab, um, and using using those solutions which are out there, some of them even um, publicly available, I think this would be would would be a great first step. It, it really you might hear that I'm. I'm I'm trying to find opportunities for people where to start, but this also heavily relies on from where the people are coming from. The field of science, so for electrical engineering, it might be a little bit easier for other fields of engineering or other STEM fields. It might be a little bit diffi- might be a little bit more difficult. But there's research around that, and you just need to go out and find it. and well I always use Google Scholar, which is an easy way to find publications around that. So there, there are many, many ways to really find your own way into it. Also talking with people in your own institution. Maybe this person, um, you're talking, maybe the person you're talking about is not the only person who wants to go into that. And um, find, find collaborators in your own institution saying, hey, I want to develop an online lab. Can, would you help me? Could we do this together? and then find funding so this i mean it's it's a very classical way but i think this um, many of the online labs really start with one person in one institution saying hey i need a solution for my class and i want to do this online how do we get this one would be my well i have to admit unspecific, specific but still would be my advice thank you thank you that
0: was great thank you so much